And I have the privilege and the honor to start this new series at our church. If you, if you know Jesus, as many of you might know, we believe he was God's son. He was the God wrapped up in humanity. So our God created in heaven, became flesh, became human. He came, he abided, he lived a sinless life. He died and he was raised three days later and he is risen for God's glory. And most of us that know Jesus, and if you don't, this is the opportunity to hear more about him in this series. We all believe in his transcendence. We all believe he is in heaven, sitting on a throne, or maybe as Revelation says, standing and waiting for the task to be finished. He's in heaven, overseeing us, interceding for us. But we also know that he is here now, present in our midst through his spirit. So we, as believers, kind of know he is up there, but sometimes we forget that he is also right here among us. And these letters are going to help us to see this immanent God, this presence of God amongst us, hearing us, seeing us, touching us, helping us, encouraging us, how he always did when he was in earth and he's still doing today. So this book, Revelation, that we are not going to go from the beginning to the end, and I wish, or maybe we go one day, is a wonderful book that can help us to be blessed, even by hearing, even by reading aloud. That's what the beginning, the introduction of the book says. Blessed are those who read it and hear the words of the revelation of Jesus Christ. So that's the good news. The Jesus that is in heaven is also in his church. And today we're going to explore later on this bridegroom, this groom among his bride. That is us. And he is going to be walking amongst us. I also going to read the I'm going to read twice. I'm going to read once as a flow, and then during my meditation, I'm going to read by parts. You might have there? Yeah. To the church in Ephesus. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. 
I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and have not grown weary yet. I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practice of the Nicolaites or Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Heavenly Father, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Deliver us from temptation, for thy is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Be with us, speak with us, walk amongst us, rebukes us, encourages us, saves us from the evil. In your name we pray, amen. So we come to this book, and I needed to spend a little bit time just quickly on the background of the book in order for us to dive in in the seven letters, and I'm going to have the first one for us. But this is a revelation of Jesus Christ to the seven churches. And in all of them, we're going to see this. Listen to the Spirit and also his promise. I'm coming soon. So to the letter of the seven churches is this new series that Jesus, through an angel, dictate, told John and ask him to write and to send to these seven churches in the Asia Minor. We know by this time John was already an old man. He was a little weak. He could not walk too much. Some tradition says he was scared later on in his life. He almost ended his life in this, in exile, in this volcanic island or agency in a penal colony of the Roman Empire called the Isle of Patmos. We know he was sent by the Emperor Domitian that was told to be the second Nero. He was worse than Nero that persecuted Christians in Jerusalem and in Rome but Domitian persecute all of them. And the reason they are being persecuted in Asia is because Jerusalem is no longer the same place. 
the church in Jerusalem is almost destroyed by this time. We are talking now in the A.D. 90. So the church, the Jerusalem has fallen, the Romans, the Jewish has fled, the Christians being in dispersation, scattered here and there. And now Asia has become the main source or the main strength of the church that once was in Jerusalem, and then goes to Antioch, and then goes to Asia Minor, and then until the ends of the world. But Domitian is trying to destroy the church, and he was smart enough, or even enough, or weak enough to know that if he would kill John, it would be worse. So let's keep the man alive, but under hardships, under imprisonment, under suffering. So in this context precisely of suffering that the risen Christ manifests himself to the apostle John to encourage him, to consolate him, to tell words, to preserve the church and sometimes to rebuke the church that sometimes was going astray. To the seven church of Asia, in the beginning says, Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ who is faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. So when we read this book, we know we're going to have promise of God not to scares us, but to warn us, not to make us afraid of the end, but to rejoice with the victory he's bringing. It's actually a, a map for us. What is the future holds for us that will affect our present time? And how in the present times we can live and see the unseen things that God has already knowledge about it. And we know one day we're going to be with him in golden streets, worshiping, dancing, fellowship with him, enjoying, celebrating in his feast, the great lamb of God. So this is what this book is going to show us. The faithful one, the faithful witness, the firstborn of from the dead, that is Jesus, and the ruler of the kings of the world. There are reasons this book was written, was given as a revelation of Jesus Christ, is about unveiling, is about open our eyes, is about like you have a curtain, now you're open the curtain to see. So the book of Revelation is a blessing and not because it's a mysterious book or a secret or things that are hidden. On the contrary, it's for you and for me to have the clear picture of our God, who he is, the great I am, the Yahweh amongst us, the great I am. So this book is full of picture of whom Jesus is added to that picture that the gospel already told us. But in the gospel, we do see Jesus as man, and we do see Jesus as our Savior and Lord and God, but most of the time he behaved as a man. He suffered, 
He was hungry. He did perform miracles. He did have authority from God. But we see more the face of God in Jesus, a man. But we don't have the full picture of Jesus, as we always wished. But in this book, you're going to see him as a total. You're going to see him as whole. We're going to see his other side that wasn't so clear before, but now is fully open for you and for me. This is the Jesus that is walking amongst us. This is the Jesus that holds the universe, all the stars, all the church, and he is the Almighty. He is in charge. He's sovereign. He was here. He's still here. He's everywhere. He sees everything. So this book is going to show us how this present moment has to be understood in the light of the future, even in Israel now, even in the wars around, even with these ongoing earthquakes, more and more these signs are increased because he's coming. So the revelation in general may be as a symbol as John writes in the gospel and in the letters. And here, the, he likes numbers. He reveals God by numbers. Seven is a big number. It's a perfect number. It's a number of completeness, a perfection. So if you would read this book, you could read in two ways. Either people say about the seven revelations of the name of Jesus in seven layers different from beginning to end, or as another interpreter, Johnson, he says, you could see this book in four parts about the open, 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 open. And I won't give you that. You can talk later or you can read the commentaries. But that's we, how we read Revelation. Not chronologically, but in layers of the revelations that God is giving. But we see Jesus as the victorious, as the lamb with seven eyes and horns. Who could see it? Who could understand it unless he would reveal himself? As the one who has a sword coming out of his mouth, has a crown on his head as a king of kings, having a name maybe as a high priest that nobody knows his name, who has power and authority. So, to the seven churches of Asia, he asks to write. So, Jesus manifests his judgment as well, first to the church and after to the world. That's how John gets the idea. First, he wants to prepare us for the reward for what's going on, to encourage us, but also to rebuke us and say, the judgment of God will start in a church. And then after chapters 4 and, below, and after, we're going to see the judgment come into the world. So all the letters have kind of the same structure, an introduction, a presentation, appreciation, reproach, and promises. Some have more, some has less than that. Two churches receive nothing but praise, Smyrna and Philadelphia. For a church receive both praise and criticism, Ephesians, Ephesus, Pergamum, Thyatira, and Sardis. Only one church receives criticism, 
Laodicea. And we understand John's literature, you see that the first one and the last one receive more hard words, like Ephesus. If you don't repent, I will remove your lampstand, your light, your existence as a church. The last one, the same. The second and the sixth has more praises. And the three, fourth, and five kind of middle are more balanced. Praise and also correction. But this is a kind of structure of the seven. Remembering that those seven letters are actually only one scroll, one book, one document. And what I see the beauty of here is that I was playing with Jesse and uh, Michaela that suppose Jesus come and say to you, Michaela, oh, you are so nice, you are so sweet, you are so responsible, but you are lack of this. And Jesse is hearing, he may not pay attention in the elegy in her good things, but what she's missing. But then Jesus comes over, Jesse, you are so strong, you are so smart, you have all the lyrics in your head, you sing so beautifully, but so just telling <laughs> those guys are gorgeous. <laughs> but in a sense is this, once a church is praised by God, he this church is also rebuked by God. But the other church has nothing to boast about because this church is also going to be rebuking something but praising in other areas. So before they kind of boast, they say, hey, what we are lacking, our sister church has it. Let's learn with them. Hey, look, what we have, we can lose it because our sister church was as strong as we are and now they are weak. Oh, look, James. We are kind of poor when we were Hilson, but now we are multimillionaires, or we have a still debt, but we are strong. But be careful. You once were poor, and you, your strength was God. Keep the, remind that. No matter how much you own now, you are still depending on God. So that's what the letter about. It's one document that should go to the seven church that actually is a whole. There are Derb, Lystra, many other churches that are not here, but they belong to Asia. So what is about? The seven church represents it all. And the seven church might face the same thing throughout their phases of life. This principles, this encouragement, these rewards, and these warnings can happen in the same church during their lives, can happen more than once in one's age. It can happen to all of them, to our church there and now. So this is what we learn here. So this is the first letter to the Ephesians, or Ephesus, sorry, is addressed to this church, one of the most important in the region. Some say it's Pergamos, others say it's Ephesus, was like the capital of Rome in Asia. So there was a strategic key. Why did Paul start there? Is it the first one that the church is going to be receiving the letter because of the circle? We're going to see the map very soon. But we know... At this time, 
John that is receiving the, the letter, the revelation from Jesus is going to write to all of them. Remember, we spoke about this church when we did the series of Acts. You can go there and see how many things, superstitions, revival, riots, all of them, Diana, the great wonder of their times, they worship this Diana, they make money with these superstitions, but there was a revival in that time. But that time they were in love for God. That time they were dying for Jesus, who were, even when they were under persecution. But later on, as we're going to hear, something might have happened 40 years later. Now, Paul, Priscilla, and Acla, that planted is gone. Now, Timothy, that was the pastor, second pastor after Paul, is already dead by the martyrdom. Paul and Timothy were killed through persecutions. And now, later on, John is going to shepherd this church. What a privilege. So, this church had the best pastors and preachers throughout its time, but now, 40 years later, is facing a hard time as well. They still alive, they still working hard, they still have good deeds and rewards from the Lord, but they ha somehow they are missing the point. So just for you to have an idea quickly, we have a map where, how this letter went. So it, the first place close to the Patmos Isle was Ephesus, maybe 100 kilometers, 60 miles. And then if you follow the circles, that was the post office of the time, they would go in circles or irregular circles to all those seven churches. That's why one comes after the other. Is it the importance? No. It's because it was the root of the delivery of the letter. So today, quickly, I want to try to share a message from the bridegroom to his bride. What is the message of Jesus, the bridegroom of the church? We know one of the pictures of Jesus in this letter is the groom, the bridegroom, and we are his bride. All the book actually develops, builds up this idea that in Chapter 19.9 says, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. We have these pictures in Paul, letters also saying that God, or God is jealous for you with a godly jealousy. And I promise you to one husband, to Christ, that I might present you as pure, pure virgin to him. So this is the message of the groom for its bride. And later on, when we see the warning, you left or you forsake your first love, you cannot understand better than seeing this image of the marriage of the groom marrying the bride. So the bridegroom presents himself to his bride to give her security. So the first thing we see here, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who has the seven star in his right hand and walks among the seven gold lampstands. We don't know exactly, 
Nobody can precise if there was a guardian angel of each church, as we see it in Daniel, an angel that protects area. We don't know if it was a heavenly being that was in charge or assists the, the, the saints. That is also possible. The language of the revelation always only talks about angels being the heavenly beings. And some people might say are the pastors or the local appointed leader of the church. The three can be right, mostly a kind of angel that we don't see it, but Paul says in his letter that we should present a good service, we should behave, the ladies should have their veil because the angels. So we don't understand. It might be a heavenly being. What is important? He was a messenger. He was someone who was sent with a message, like a missionary, like we heard these two ladies here. There is a message to be sent. And this angel is a messenger who sends the message to John. And in the name of Jesus, in the name of God, write it down. So it's a sent message. And then we see that what captures John's first attention, what is recorded, we read it by our brother here, is that Jesus is standing among the seven gold lampstands. Interesting because all the picture and the culture of Israel and the Judaism, the Jews, they always speak about this memora, or only one candle, chandelier with seven things to put the candles. But here is different. Now we, he sees separately the seven gold lampstands representing the church. And now Jesus is not above looking down. He's not outside looking into. He's in the middle of the church. And the word peripateo, it means he's walking around. It's like geography. Peri goes around. He goes around all this church, and he goes around each church, and he goes around the people of the church. Remember, he's the lamb of seven eyes. Who can escape from his eyes? He has compassion. Who, cannot, who can be forgotten from his compassion eyes? So that's what is happening here. These are the words of him who has seven stars in his right hand and walks around the church. The seven lampstands represent the seven churches of Asia. And he's not above, he's not outside, he's in the middle. So that should encourage us. The reason reigning, glorified Jesus is standing in the middle of his church. And from the middle of the lampstands, Jesus then brings this message, each one of them for this church. And Jesus wants with that to give us security, to give us protection, to telling us that he's not only in the middle, but he's walking around us. He's approached us to closeness. He wants intimacy. He wants to talk to you. He wants to eat with you. He wants to protect you. 
So to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who has the seven star. So what impresses me is that he's walking around us and he can protect us. Nothing can go loose in the sight of his supernatural and powerful God. And because Jesus is present in the life of the church, he can seize, he can help, he can assist, and he can encourage us. Don't be afraid. We read, we heard it before. Don't be afraid. I am the one who was dead and now I am alive. So the bridegroom is not only present, he's also holding his church in his omnipotent hands. That's a beautiful picture. And the word in Greek, there is a word, have, echon, that means there are two words. But this one in particularly that he holds firm and nobody can snatch us from his hand. He has something in his hand, but he also holds something fully and firmly. This is the word that John writes here. He holds the stars in his hand. The stars and the chandeliers are images of the church. So we don't need to worry about who pays the bill. He will use it, his power to nurture us, to provide for us, to take care of us. Oh, who is going to protect our brothers under persecution? He will. And if we die, we're going to be martyred, and we're going to be on his hand on heaven. He is the one who holds us, who keeps us safe, because we as church exist to shine. We exist to signal the kingdom of God Amongst us. So this is what he is doing. He is walking. He's amongst us to give us protection, security, encouragement, life. But he also holds us. He keeps us firm on his hands. He keeps his stars in his hands and walks amongst us. Isn't it what he promised my sheep listens to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and for that they will never die. No one will be able to snatch them out of my hand. The power of the Father has given me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of his hand. So you are in Jesus' hands. There is no sin that can turn you away. There is no devil that can carry you away or defeat you. We might be persecuted. We may have temptations. Sometimes he wins fights in our lives, the word and the flesh. But if we believe in Jesus, he's going to protect us. He's going to hold us. Even when he warned the church, that the church can have his lampstands taken away, he speaks about the church, not your salvation. And then the bridegroom prays his bride for her, her virtues. Verse 2 to 3, I know your deeds. 
your hard work and your perseverance. Interesting, the word I know comes from the root oikos. I don't know how they translate I know, but for me it's very meaningful because at home we know each other. At home we are known. At home we are protected. At home we are who we are. So when he says I know, he used the word oikos. It's like a familiar place you live. I know your deeds. I know your business. I know your intention. I know you at church exist to shine. I know what you are doing. I know your hard work. That means it's like you sweat. You, you make your shirt wet. I know. Yesterday, for instance, we had a, a big celebration of Thanksgiving at the Dwight Church. There were 150 people. Maybe it's the reason the floor is not so clean. I'm sorry. It was pretty clean. Everything else, I hope, was clean. But there were people making that night happen. The service was beautiful. The reception, potluck was perfect, like a Christmas time, was wonderful. But there were a crew group. There were a 10 people that they were here since maybe 12, noon, until 1 o'clock. They were hard workers. The deeds was seen, the servicing, the food and the fellowship, and the hard work was seen those few people that worked harder than anyone else putting, cooking, warming, cleaning, until one, I got message. Oh, pastor, this is here, this is not there, what do you do? They were hard workers. This is what's going on. Jesus know, James, your hard work. I remember when I came here, I was a critic, but was in a good sense. It was a good critic. Somebody says, well, we come to Coffee Zone, and we have a few people. Remember, uh, Diana Harris was here. Amy was here. There were some people that came later. Andrew came for a time with Kristen, but there were the majority was not from the church. And somebody once that was not coming says, hey, this is not something the church is doing. This is what you staff and some are doing. Well, maybe that time was something that's happening that moment. Like I said last week, today is all mainly done by us. You are doing this. This is your deed. This is your hard working. So that's what God sees. We do things for his glory, for his honor. We are working hard. So Jesus highlights three virtues of those. It was a church that was faithful in doctrine. It was a church that was involved in the work of God. It was a church that persevered in tribulation. And John Stott summarized this saying, there was labor, intense labor, and he asserts that the church was an industrious beehive. And I could not help thinking the truth. Ari and Tyler, they work hard with that bee thing. And John Stott says the church was like an industrial beehive. Because they were always constant working. And this is what I'd say most of people know what we are because the hard work 
we put here, the hospitality, the greeters, the events, serving three congregations, serving 400 kids. We have hard work, now volleyball and basketball and, and cross trainers and kids program and so on. We work hard and God's seen it. We are not just theoretical, they were not theoretical, they were acting on it. And being a believer in that time was not a popular thing. They were under persecution. But we know the Ephesians were not expectators at a gospel concert. No, they were not, like we are not. They were not consumers of religious products. They were not churches, donors, or patrons demand satisfaction of their wishes. They were not only churchgoers or visitors or tourists. Search for new experience or a spiritual experience. They were in the church to serve and not to be served, even though Jesus wants to serve us, and sometimes we, we need to accept his service because he needs nothing we learn here. But they were serving God. They were serving Jesus. Jesus' church is a great privilege that you and I can be Hard workers and can persevere. And at here, we know that. We are not living a comfortable life. We are not living a quiet place. More and more, our church demands workers. More and more, we should get out of our comfort zone. And that was happening with the Ephesians. They were not looking for their comfort. They are looking for their growth. They are looking ways to serve, to do things. And they are growing not in a comfortable way. So he says, you have endured and you have suffered for my name's sake. And you have not fainted. So this church was a machine of service, of doing, of deeds, of good works for God. They start like that. Out of love, they start of, of that because they believe they own. They, they should respond with, with gratitude to God. Hasn't it happened with you and me? Hasn't it happened with we as church? We are so thankful for what God has done in our life and we want to give back. Jesus is still saying, and I know you cannot tolerate wicked men that you have test those who claim to be apostles, but they are not. There were false teachings, and Paul has already taught the church, remember, about false teachings in his letters? So they got it, they learned it, and now they can see, oh, this is not a good teaching. Oh, here sounds good, but maybe later, oh, oh life is about enjoying God, great. Life is about satisfaction. Hey, wait a minute. Life is about not suffering. Oh, this is wrong. This is heresy. So they knew that. You can enjoy God, but you're going to have persecution and suffering because Jesus had. It's a privilege. So they knew how to understand bad teaching. They were good in doctrine. They, go, they were faithful in their doctrine, as many of us. And here we have heard, we can name it, so great preachers. They talk about things about gender, sex, sin, li liberals, and, and things that we have to be careful because they can contaminate 
the sound teaching doctrine. But those guys were smart. They did not tolerate wicked men. They did not tolerate those who claimed to be apostles sent by God, but they were not. People who would make gospel lose. People who would think the gospel can be gained by your deeds. People who would say, hey, why do you care about how you live? What's better? It's with marriage to feel good. So they would get it and they would say, no, this is wrong. Even they hate the Nicolaites. Some people say maybe it's the, one of the seven was chosen to serve. What a time he was full of the spirit. But later on, he becomes liberal. Or their followers. Or whoever is these Nicolaites can be. The name means the destroyer of the people. So we don't know exactly if it was that man elected by the church to serve like a deacon or if it was a kind of idea or movement, but those were preaching a other gospel. Those were preaching that you can live a life without having your life changed. They were preaching a very uh, shallow gospel with immoral practice that there was in the city. Paul denounced that all the superstitions, all the prostitutes, all the idols, and now maybe some of them says, oh, who cares? We are saved. Let's enjoy this temple of Diana once in a while. Let's enjoy some kind of superstition here and there. We all need that. So the Nicolaites were doing things, and those church or other churches also denounced their work. So this was destroying the people of God. They hated, and so did the Ephesus. So John Stott summarized the condition of this church. They were energetic in their service, they were patient in their suffering, and they were orthodox in their faith. And then you think, what can go wrong? A church who is smart, a church who knows what is doing, a church who serves perfectly, correctly, rightly for God's glory, a church that is also ongoing, serving, love, uh, 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 working, uh, making their jerseys wet of so much work, a church who can see mistakes, heresies, can point out what is wrong, and here we won't allow it. What can go wrong? The love, or the lack of love. So the bridegroom rebukes his bride for the cooling of her love. When I came to Christ, there was such a love and maybe it happens to you, that I could do anything for Jesus. And I was ready, my 20s, to die for Jesus. I remember all the money I had. It was quite a lot that time, seven years of saving. No need to pay rent because I lived with my parents. And now, become a believer, I saw so many people in difficulty. I started giving my money away until I ran out of money. I remember there was so much needs around me that one day I could not even have a check. I said, all my money is going to be in this pocket, and this is all this money I can give for 
tithe and charity by that time. So that was the demanding. And one day I was in a Pentecostal church, maybe it was my mistake, I went in a Pentecostal church <laughs> without taking my money from the pocket. When they says, now is the tithe moment. So I always have the tithe in my money. You know, it doesn't work like today, credit card, you know, send the money, transfer. It's, what do you have, you don't have it. Eh? And I was young, so no check, no much credit card, so money here. And the person says, oh, whatever you have in the other pocket, give. I says, my gosh. <laughs> I don't know how many other people have two pockets with money. I know what he's talking about. I was giving this money, and now he asked all my money, but I was ready to die. I gave. I lost in love. When you are in love, you give your life, you give everything. Some people give their ring, some people have to cut their, their, their finger because they don't have money to take my finger. <laughs> this is very Brazilian, don't, no, don't make it. <laughs> Different way. So, I was ready to give. And then I had all this tight money that was short, I could pay to go home, and then I go in a pastor's home to pray for them, and they said they had no money. The wife was murmuring against the pastor. You see, why you don't be a, a teacher? You're a pastor. We have no milk. So I said, oh, my God, what I do? I gave the money, and then I had no money. Twelve kilometers to go. Suppose I go here to Mud Street, go to the mountain on foot. Now I go on foot because all my money is gone. Miraculously, you don't need to believe, I can tell you, and I will tell because I like to challenge you. A taxi cab, cab, a taxi stopped. I look. I had no money. I was ready to walk 12 kilometers on the hill to go home. He stopped, says, let's go. He said, no, no, I didn't ask you. No, let's go. I go there. Man, when you have no money, you have faith, you go. I went. He didn't ask where to. And he stopped in my house. We only talk about God. Was an angel? I hope. The devil wouldn't help me. <laughs> Was the Lord. Was the Lord. This is what I believe. I was ready to die. Remember when you're ready to die? Are you ready to die? Is your love still in the same level? You know what I like this? Because he says... But I have this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Some translation says, you have left your first love. I like to go and see what that means in the word itself. Sometimes commentators help. Sometimes you have to go in this interlinear thing. Man, I was shocked. Today I found this out. Not in my old studs of 12 pages. I didn't find out that. This have left Oh, this forsaken, do you know the word it is? Is the same word for divorce. You have sent away your wife through a divorce. That changed the meaning, doesn't it? When God says you have forsaken your love, he's not only saying you are not loving me as before. He was telling me, you divorced from my love. The, uh, the word is agape, love. The love between God and man in condition. The love that a husband has to have for the wife. Sometimes we can have the same love for our kids as well. And maybe in a church we can have this sort of love. But now God is saying, you have divorced from me. You have abandoned me as your lover. And I am the groom, and you are the bride. It doesn't work. 
I have this against you. Only one thing. But that's the only one thing that hurts. Is that the only thing that we can jump ahead and see, Martin, you are so distracted with the preparation that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell me, her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. He has only one thing against Ephesus. And now he says, the only thing your sister chose is the right. She chosen what is better. And now you not be taken away from her. What Mary had, the love and the devotional for Jesus. Sometimes we see this coming to our lives, to our church. We get so involved in the deeds, in the hard work, in the right doctrine, in the orthodoxy, but out of love is nothing. Out of love, it might be sin. You might be doing something that doesn't relate in a fellowship with Jesus. So the bridegroom offers his bride a chance for a fresh start. So there is a chance. There is also a commendation and there is a rebuke, but there is a chance for us to do this. He says three things. Remember, repent, and redo it. Do again. Go back for where you were. So remember where you fell. What was made out of your love now grow cold. Now understand the lack of love for Jesus is sin. Jesus says, repent. Return to the practice of the first love. Redo it as before when you have your first love. According to Jesus, sin is not just doing what is bad. Sin is doing what is good without love for him. If you are married, you know what we are talking about. Even a wife or a husband can be faithful to the spouse, can do all the right things for the spouse, can do all the roles they were expect to be done without love, and that hurts. That is showing the eyes, that is showing the way how you say things, and that's not accepted by Jesus. He wants to see those things, he prays for those things, but he says, what is your love? What is your passion? Are you still in love for me? Because this is all that matter. That is all the picture. He's going to bring a church to relate with him for eternity. He's the groom who is going to come for his perfect, uh, sinless, spotless, no, no wrinkles, pure and uh, white clothes for him in the wedding as a church. Remember the ten virgins. Remember what is behind 
If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove you, your lamp stamp, your lamp stamp from its place. We've seen it. All those churches gone. No matter what was the warning, not too long later, the second generation, 40 years later, they were rebuked, and some people say they might not last even 100 years. There are churches closing its doors. We are sad. But if they don't love, if they are not in love for Jesus, whatever they are doing there is not so important. According to Jesus, we know sin is not just doing what is bad, but not doing what is right with love. He can come and seize the church to exist. Nowadays, many churches are going down these routes. So, he says... He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. The worship group can come. He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. The one who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise. Oh, the church has promises. This church has some titles, adjectives that was in the beginning. And this church and the other church all will have a promise. Here, the winner, the word is Nike. You know what Nike comes from? Nikao. Nikao is the word for winner. Nikao. Why? That's why Nike. Nike is for the winners. That's what Jesus says. I am the victorious. I am the winner. You want to be a Nike? Repent. Remember. Redo. And if you do, remember the tree that I gave to Adam and Eve but I, could, I couldn't allow them to eat because they were in sin. Now you're going to go and you're going to eat from me eternally. Concluding, Christ is wearing Ephesus as he's wearing us today. Our church has to be a light to the nations. And if you're not shine, he will take us out of here. If you are still impenitent, he's going to promise and he's going to do what he promised. But if you repent, if you remember, he's going to make us victorious and he's going to be right here with us and he's going to take us to eat with him for eternity. Today, many want Christ, but not the church. And I tell you, even though it's Christ who saves it's impossible to be saved and not to be part of his church. Christ's attention is focused on his bride and occupies the center of his attention. He's amongst us. He's in action. He's the remedy for us, for our illness. Christ is not only in the midst of the church. He's walking around us and he's holding us in his hand. May God bless your heart. Let's keep worshiping that groom that is worthy to be praised. God bless you.